How y'all doing today? We sprang forward, right? Like, so we're, I, dr I was dragging everybody today. I was trying to just, I was hovering around the coffee pot all morning, just trying to continue to get the caffeine fixed this morning. I didn't even know what was happening. It like threw me off this morning completely. But I didn't know it was happening. It was something that's always happened and continued to have happened all of my life, which is this daylight savings time. But I felt very disoriented this morning. And so my name is Kevin. I'm the Kids and Family Pastor here with my wife, Lisa. And I'm just going to encourage us this morning, man. I'm excited. I'm fired up. I just, I wanted to just share something with you guys before we get into worship. Man, I was, uh, I shared this with the, the team uh, a couple weeks ago, but I was thinking back about when my wife and I, when we got married, I came in to our marriage with debt. But like the debt that I came in with was like the debt that I ignored, so I deferred it. I just kept on putting it down, putting it down, putting it down. So she was like, hey, we want to get our bills in order. We want to kind of get everything sorted, so let's start paying it off. And I'm like, whoa, 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 if we start doing that, then we're committed to paying that. But if I defer it, I don't have to worry about it. And so today, I don't know spiritually what we've been deferring, what we've been putting down. Next week, I'll lift my hands in worship. Next week, I'll get into the word. Next week, I'll join in a discipleship group. Next week, I'll believe for my miracle. Next week, I'll get from underneath the enemy's thumb. I'm going to challenge us all today not to defer. This week, we start taking back everything that was ever stolen robbed, misled. This week, I take back my miracle. This week, I recognize that I already have the victory. The battle belongs to him. This week, I believe in provision for my family. This week, I'll stand firm believing for that breakthrough. But let's start it today today in our worship. So I'm going to already just, as I pray, as we get into worship, I'm going to pray for us. Just lift your hands up. Start already giving a shout of praise. Yeah. Start making an utterance, a noise to give our God praise. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we Lord, thank you, Lord, that you are already in this place, Lord, and that today is take back season. I pray for a boldness to rise up in this space. I pray today, Lord, that we would just be spurred on, Lord, to start proclaiming and declaring, stomping on snakes. Lord, that you are in control, Lord, that your word says that you withhold no good things from those that call upon you, Father. So today, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would worship a little louder, that we pray a little harder, that we believe a little deeper. Faith rise up in this space. And God, only do what you can do in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hallelujah. Father, you are amazing. Jesus, we praise you this morning. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Jesus, there's no one like you, none in heaven or under earth. Nothing visible or invisible, nothing with a name like cancer or addiction or depression or anxiety, Lord God. No, no, no name above the name of my God like unemployment or hurt, disaster, dissension, disunity, fear, worry. There's no name above your name. What we just sang, Daddy, we believe that you'll make a way. When there seems to be no way, you'll make a way. When, when it seems impossible, the impossible maker steps in. So today, this morning, Daddy, you know that there are impossible situations in this room. There are seemingly impossible situations for those who are watching online. There are seemingly impossible situations going on in our world right now. With our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia. Father, there are seemingly impossible situations, but we know that you are the God of the impossible. I know when we can't, you can. That's our profession of faith today. Jesus, when we can't, you can. So we stand in your love. We stand in your power. We stand under your authority. And we simply say, Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives this morning. Lord God, over our health this morning, over our mind this morning, in our world this morning, over our kids this morning, over our friends this morning, over our co-workers this morning, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in faith, together, touching it in agreement, together, and one as one body, we say, so be it, amen, and amen, and amen. Come on, let's give God some glory for who he is, Father. I thank you that you are the God of the impossible. Woo! Hallelujah, Lord. Hey, church, I'm so, you know, I hope you believe what you just said. And I, I, my, my prayer is that it goes from being an intellectual assent to a heart proclamation. My God is the God of the impossible. I love where the word says, what is, po- what is impossible for man is possible for God. Yes, amen. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how we come to these situations. What are we looking for? Who are we looking to? But the word has always been the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means there's nothing that he did before that he can't do today. And there's no situation you'll face in your future that is more powerful, come on, than his ability to do what he's done already in the past. So if we believe he was raised from the dead, and that's the most impossible thing that we can even fathom in our life, then there's nothing. There's not one sickness that's more powerful. Not one thought. Not one belief. Not one thing that's happened to us in our life that's robbed us of joy that is more powerful than Jesus. Today, it's just about surrendering. It's about making his name the name above every name. Do you believe Jesus is powerful enough? Do you believe that he loves you? Because, my friends, I want to speak it over your life. You don't have to earn his love. You don't. He loves you just the way you are. The good, the bad, the ugly. I know. Because if I took off my mask, you see the ugly. Right? Come on. Loves every bit of us. 
an amazing God who would look at someone like us and say, I love them just the way they are. And I love them so much, I want to do something in their life that they can't do for themselves. What a God we serve. Well, I'm really glad you're here this morning. Look, if this is your first time, welcome to Connect Church. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming and being our guest this morning. If you're online, we love you. Thank you for stepping in, checking out with us. Thank you so much. If you, you know, it's so funny. I was almost going to say, if your alarm clock, if you didn't set your alarm clock ahead, no one has alarm clocks any longer. If your iPhone did not go off this morning. <laughs> no, we're just glad you checked in today. We believe, without a shadow of a doubt, the same God that's in this room is the same God that's with you as well. We're so glad you're here. Church, for us, this thing called church isn't about a Sunday morning experience. It's about learning to live life well together. So this is a family you stepped into. We pray for each other. We believe for each other. We stand with each other. Not just in the good times, but the hard times as well. We are a family. And so, look, before you're being seated today, can you just take a moment? Say hi to a brother or sister. Just say hi to a family member. Just say hi to somebody maybe you didn't come to church with. Give them a high five or a fist pump or an air hug. I don't, I, that, that song is just stuck in my spirit right now. You made a way. I love the fact that we proclaim that. You will make a way. Yeah. Let that be your heart's desire this week. Let it, be, uh, let, let, let it be the proclamation of faith in your life today. You know, uh, we have so much. Before we hop in the word, we just have a, a few things I want to just um, uh, bring you up to speed on, just to enc uh, encourage you about. Yesterday, we, have a, we had a TKC. We were supposed to have a TKC run. TKC, Thy Kingdom Crumb, is our mobile food truck ministry that we've been doing for a bunch of years now. And during the pandemic, we've had to kind of adjust to make, make it instead of taking the truck out. We have people to come here, and uh, we put food boxes in their cars. And uh, we have lines. Lines line up for hours before we open, like hours and hours before we open. Uh, there, the need in our community is not diminishing, it is increasing. Um, uh, but yesterday, because of the weather, we moved that run till tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Look, if you, if you uh, maybe are off tomorrow or find yourself with some free time tomorrow, why, why don't you come on out? You can uh, we, come on out, be a part of the ministry, be a part of actually loving on our people. We also want to continue to fund that ministry at a higher level because the more that we have coming in, the more that we have going out. And so we're going to do an online silent auction coming up in May uh, that I know our director of operations, uh, Stephanie Gibson, which is right back there. Hi, Steph. How are we doing? Um, she, she has, if you want, if you can go to your workplace may, or maybe you have friends that run a business that would like to donate some of their services that we could auction off. Uh, online. Um, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. And we know that everybody is in a tighter situation in the world today. Um, but this is a way that we can help people who are in the tightest situations of life uh, to make a difference. Um, and so in light of that as well, TKC, one last uh, announcement, our chef, uh, Melissa, it's her birthday. So happy birthday, Melissa. It's so good to see you. We went to school together, so this is her 25th birthday. Just, uh, I celebrated my 26th just a little bit ago. Man, Melissa, you're the best. Thank you for all that you do. Amazing. Um, one last thing that I want to make sure that, uh, that we 
uh, Mensa today is that uh, we've been talking over the last little bit about uh, how equipping you to how to share the gospel with your friends. And I know Pastor Rick did a phenomenal ser- sermon a few weeks ago. Thank you, Pastor Rick. It was brilliant. Um, and we're following that up with uh, just a, a quick equipping moment on April 2nd, Saturday. Um, and you can, you can register for that. We need it to be registered only because we need to know how much material that we need out and how to do that. Uh, but you can, you can sign up for that right after service. Pastor Rick right over here will be out in the, the chat room lobby and you can do that out there. So, so much is going on. Hey, look, as we get closer to, uh, I know in, in lots of the world, the mandate for masks are off and over. We, we respect that. We honor that. Uh, you, we're asking for you to give us a little more time in here because they're still, we're still navigating this well. Uh, and it's coming. There'll be a time that you actually get to see my face and you're going to say, please put the mask back on. <laughs> I hate the preacher, that, but I know this. I love you and your kids and your, and your loved ones more than I hate preaching in this mask. So that's where we are with that. All right, are you guys ready for the word today? Yes. I'm ready. I'm ready. I hope I hope that you I hope that you come prepared. I hope that you uh, take notes. Uh, uh, and since you brought your Bible, whether it be physically or electronically, um, why don't you open with me to the book of Luke? Luke is the third book of the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, Luke was a doctor. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We believe he was one of the seventy-two other disciples that followed Jesus Christ. Um, and he's giving his report of something that happened during the ministry of Jesus. If you need a title for today's message is, What Now? What Now? Have you ever had that, those moments like, what now? What, what do I do? What do I do now? Because the truth is, how we perceive what is in our now will determine how we proceed into our then. How we perceive what's in our now will determine how we proceed into our then. We've been talking a lot about discernment lately in church, about how to understand the times, how to understand the things of God, where God is moving, how God is moving in our lives. And we want to keep talking a little bit more about that even today. What do we do in these situations? What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation of worry, of stress, or we're facing lack or failure, where we're in worry, when we're in need, when we need God to show up. Do we look for the manifestation of the miracle? Is that what we're looking for? Is that our end goal? Man, I just, want, I just need my miracle. I just need to get out of pain. I need my miracle. When I'm out of pain, I'm fine. Or are we looking for the manifestation, the revelation of the Savior? Because that really is The question this morning we're going to wrestle with. In our moments of life, what's the biggest goal that we're trying to get? What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to step into? The manifestation of the miracle or the revelation of the Savior? Because this, my friends, is where the tension lies. This is where the door opens for us to be pious if we get the miracle or disenchanted if we don't. And I think it's the tension that's found very often in what we're taught to look for in modern Christianity. Because in modern Christianity, as believers, we're taught in these empty moments to look for the miracle. Look for the miracle, look for the miracle. Stand on the miracle. Believe for the miracle. 
Have faith for the miracle. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in miracles. We are absolutely, we believe that God is God of the miracles. He's the God of the miraculous. He didn't stop doing miracles 2,000 years ago. We've seen them. We've experienced them. We need to believe for them. We need to stand in them. God is a God of the miraculous. But the problem is when that's what we're looking for, and that becomes our goal, that's where we stop. We stop in our understanding of the moment. And because it's our focus, trying to get the miracle, we place all our eggs in that basket. I just got to get the miracle. I got to get the miracle. I got to get the miracle. I got to get the miracle. Yet as disciples, and we've been talking a lot about the difference in our world between believing, being a believer, believing in God, believing in Jesus, kind of believing uh, enough to, to be at church sometimes, versus being a disciple, someone who's following after God. Someone who's actually walking after and wanting to know all about him. As a disciple, these moments actually give us the opportunity to look for the revelation of the miracle worker. As the most important, as the most important uh, result that comes out of the moment. The most important result that comes out of the moment is not the miracle. The most important result that comes out of any of these moments is a revelation of the miracle worker in our life. Because when... Our goal, when our focus becomes a deeper revelation of Jesus in these moments, we will never walk away disillusioned. We will never walk away disenchanted. We will always walk away more empowered, more full of hope, more deeply in love with him. Why is this important? Because it sounds semantical, but it's not. The reason it's important is because where we set our heart. In our moments of uncertainty, where do we set our hearts? Because out of our hearts will come all the decisions we make in our life. If my heart is just to get the miracle, when I get the miracle, I'm good. But if my heart, come on somebody, is to get the miracle and the miracle doesn't show up, what then? If my heart is to know him better, whether I get the miracle or not. Whether I get the miracle or not. Does that mean I don't believe for the miracle? Does that mean I don't stand for the miracle? Does that mean I don't have faith for a miracle? No, it just means this. My goal at the end of the day in this journey with Jesus is not to get Jesus to get me out of pain, to get me my miracle, to get me my healing, to get me my provision, my promotion, or my success. The end of the day, my goal in, in following Jesus is to know him more. That's it. And if that is your goal, at the end of the day, you'll never be disappointed. But so often in modern Christianity, we go through this journey trying to get something from him rather than getting to know him. And we become disillusioned and disappointed. Oh, we hang on for a while in church. But there will be a time when the disenchantment becomes greater than you're willing to hold on to. Let's look at this story together. We're going to go through this a little differently today. <laughs> I'm going to read a little bit and unpack and then read a little more and unpack. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says, One day when, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats, underline empty, two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. That, that brings us kind of to the first moment. 
The first thing that maybe we need to wrestle with is simply this. How do we respond to the what now moments of emptiness? When our life is feeling empty. The Bible says Jesus found the boat empty. The fishermen who worked all night found their nets empty. What do we do when we feel those empty? Has anyone ever felt an empty moment? Uh, I'm saying like this week. Has anyone ever felt, right? What do we do? How do we respond in those not enough type of moments? What do you do in the moment when you feel not enough in the moment? Maybe you felt that way when you pulled up to the gas pump this week. I don't know. What do we do when we look around our workplace and everybody's getting promoted but us? Or we look around all of our friends and they're all getting married and having kids and we're not. What do we do when we've been hoping that our kids would follow Jesus but they're wandering away from him? Or maybe our kids have already left home and now we're left empty nesters. The feeling of emptiness is magnified. What do we do in our marriage when our spouse is so busy that we feel all alone. Or maybe in our relationship when our love language isn't being spoken back to us and so our love tank feels empty. Or maybe you rolled up at the doctor's this week and he came out with a diagnosis that made your heart sink. How do we see these moments? What are we looking for when we're faced with these moments? For the answer to come or the true answer to be revealed? Because I see two very different approaches to this situation in this text. The fishermen had left the place of their failure. They put separation between themselves and what hadn't worked out. Can I tell you ladies something, just so you understand men a little bit more. Men will never do something that they think they'll fail at. Men will never play games they think they're going to lose. Men don't engage very often in things that they don't think they can succeed in. It's just something about men that drives us to not want to do that. The problem is, in church, when we don't think we can be the men that the Bible says we should be, it causes this temptation to walk away. The, the fishermen had separated themselves. Were out washing their nets by themselves, trying to get the muck off their failures. Now, the deeper issue is this. When we see these moments as God failing us, or our lack of holiness failing to move God enough to provide for us, then like the fishermen, you and I are tempted to become separated from what we believe failed us. That's the danger in this. And as believers in this modern church world, when our principles and patterns that we've been taught if we follow them, they will produce the miracle. Don't produce the miracle. If somehow, by going to church, should have produced and convinced God to get me what I needed, doesn't actually work, and we end up still having this empty moment, we will always be tempted. Come on. We will always be tempted to take our nets somewhere else because we failed. Or God has failed us. And like Moses, so many of us end up hiding in the wilderness so that no one sees the bodies buried in the sand. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. 
All of us, can I just say, all of us have felt like that. All of us have said, man, I'm out of here. I've served God long enough. I've been in church and this still hasn't mattered. I've given, I've shown up, I've prayed, I've been about, and this still hasn't happened. Many of us have found ourselves like Moses. Man, I'm out. The fishermen, I'm out. I've worked all night. I've done all night. I've been here all night. I've been serving all night. I've been giving all night, and still my net is empty. I'm out. I get it. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you out of intimacy with the Father. He wants you out of the house. He, he wants you away from where two can touch something in agreement and there's power that happens. He wants you out of the power of corporate worship. He wants you out of the power of iron sharpening iron. He wants you to rely on yourself and not the power that comes when we walk this thing out together. He knows Psalm 92 verse 12 says this. This is powerful. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. Planted in the house of God, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Yeah. He wants to actually uproot you and move you, tell you you're still a tree, tell you you still have promises, but move you out of the soil that would grow you. It's the danger in this approach. Yet I want to encourage someone today who may be in an empty boat situation. Jesus was looking for an empty boat to get into. I need to say that again because somebody may be in an empty boat situation today wondering what the heck they did wrong. And I'm here to tell you Jesus was looking for an empty boat to get into. Yeah, that's right. See, our empty boat moments may be some of the greatest transformational moments in our lives if we'll let them. If Peter's boat would have been full, there would, Jesus would have had nowhere to step into it. It wouldn't have been a platform usable for Jesus to proclaim his message. Come on, let's ask ourselves the real question. How often when we, are, when we are feeling empty, do we fill our emptiness with meaningless things so that we feel full? And in so doing, we create a filled boat that Jesus has no space to step into in our lives. I get it. The reality of emptiness scares us. The reality of emptiness scares us. That's why we rush in and try to fill it with everything and anything we can to try to fill the void of emptiness so we feel full. It doesn't matter what it is. Fame, recognition, success, another relationship, material things. We will fill it with TV and Netflix, come on, binge watch it. How many of you are mad because you've already seen all the things you wanted to binge watch and the next seasons aren't out yet? <laughs> right? It's just true. We're like, I can't believe it. You just watched seven seasons of that show, but you want the eight seasons to be out now. Why? Why are we doing that in this pandemic time? Because we're feeling the emptiness. It's magnified, the emptiness of our life. We're not distracted by all the other things, so we have to fill it so that, because we're afraid of the emptiness. Yeah. But we need to learn from creation itself. The Bible says we can look at creation and understand God. Genesis 1-2, in the very beginning, the Bible says the world was empty and void until God spoke into it and then there was life. The Bible does not say the world was empty and void and it filled itself with things to make it full. 
The Bible says, when the world itself was empty and void, it understood the only path to life was when God spoke. We need to know, my friends, that empty boats are opportunities for both the manifestations of the miracles from Jesus as well as the revelations of the miracle worker who is Jesus. We look at our empty moments and think and concentrate on our weakness. Paul tells us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, now get this. If you're in an empty boat right now, get this. The Bible says God's power is made perfect in my weakness. God's power is not made perfect in my holiness, my goodness, my good works, how, how much I've filled my life, how handy I can be, how much I can do. The Bible says when I am weak, he is strong. If you're finding yourself in an empty boat, you might just be in the most powerful position you've ever been in in your life. You're thinking, man, I'm weak. I have lack. I'm not. You may be in the most powerful position in your entire life. But how you perceive your now will determine how you proceed into your then. Verse 3 says this. You want more? Come on, let's look. What happens? Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He asked him to put out a little bit from land. Right. How do we handle the what now moments of a little space? How do we respond when Jesus asked us to create a little space in our life? He asked him to push out from the shore, to get away from the crowd a little bit. My friends, sometimes we just need a little space from the pressure, from the overwhelming force that seems to be pressing in on every side of our lives. Sometimes it's in creating space from the crowd that gives us the opportunity, the room that we need to hear. I know it's scary because if we put space in between ourselves and the crowd, what if the crowd gets offended? What if the crowd goes away? What if they don't respect the boundary? What then? But the truth is, the truth is, Peter needed space. He needed space to be able to hear the word from Jesus that would change his life. He needed space. He needed a little bit of distance from some things, from some other voices that were drowning out faith. He needed a little space from some, from some other negativity that was drowning out the positivity of Jesus. He needed a little space from the have to to get to the want to. He needed a little space. The reality is in this day and age where we live in the immediacy of the moment, where we're constantly looking for the next text to come in, where we're living for that next email, that next phone call, what's happening on Facebook, social media, when we're living in that has-to-happen-now moment, we need to create space. And we all need to do it differently. Some of us, it's maybe getting off social media for a while. Others of us need to carve out intentionally some time at our lunch break to listen. For some of us, it's maybe not immediately getting back into a relationship since we just got out of one. Others of us, it might be to not have anything on in the background for a while. I mean, that means no multitasking. I know for some of you millennials, I just blasphemed. 
There's no life without multitasking. I mean, I don't even know what life would be like if there's not other things going on. Space. Space. The challenge for our generation is to be okay with the void that space creates. I know for me, man, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. Man, doing nothing is hard for me, right? But, but, but the thing about space is that creating space is not an introvert thing, and it's not an extrovert thing. It's not a type A thing or a type lazy thing. It's, it's a God thing. We need to create space to be able to hear something differently. Creating space is not doing nothing. It's actually doing something. It's being intentional about wanting to hear from God. Giving Him room. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. There's an avenue of listening that space avails to us. That fullness doesn't. Space avails you the ability to hear when fullness doesn't. I love looking at the two moments here between Peter and Paul's conversion moments. Because Peter's conversion moment we're seeing right here. He's sitting in a still moment in a boat. By the way, which is not his nature. Can we all agree that's not his nature? Because sometimes his men were like, uh, you got to understand, Pastor, it's not my nature. Peter's nature was not to sit still. He was a doer. He was a do first, think about it later type of dude. I get it. But he had created space, even in his failure, where he allowed Jesus to be able to have room and invade where he was. And in it, it changed his life. It created a beautiful moment of listening. Versus Paul. Paul, Paul was successful Paul was the big man on campus. Paul, had, Paul was prideful. Paul had a crowd around him. Paul had everybody cheering for him. And you know what God had to get to get Paul's attention? Knock him on his butt. He had to knock them. Acts 9 says when Paul was going to do what he was doing, everybody was cheering him on. He had a crowd of people around him telling him you're doing the right thing. And God had to knock him on his butt to get his attention. What we do in these moments, I'm just saying, what we do with the space determines God's method to how he's going to get our attention. And I would rather be intentional to create the space so he can speak than him having to knock me down, knock me down, knock me down. Anybody understand the knock me down moments, the knock me on my butt, knock me on. I've been knocked on my butt so many times. Come on, both cheeks are bruised. I got no more cheeks to bruise. (laughs) But maybe if he's doing that, it's because he wants to get our attention. I want to encourage us today. Don't fear the space. I know in space, no one can hear you scream. But in space, we might just hear him speak. Jesus in Matthew 14 gives us this great moment. Jesus has been with the crowd the whole day. The Bible says he goes up on the mountain. He He dismisses the crowd. Sends the disciples away. Goes up on the mountaintop to pray Alone. Alone. So that he could listen to the Father. Can I just say, if Jesus needed some space to listen to the Father, maybe we would. I'm just saying, maybe if the Son of God needed some space to listen to the Father, maybe we do too. 
And this is what I want to encourage you. It wasn't a forever space. It was, he didn't set up his life on the mountaintop alone. He didn't, it wasn't going to be a hermit. Because this is what the enemy does. The enemy will always overblow the moment so that we fear the obedience. He'll be like, man, see, if you do that, man, you give some space in a relationship, you're never going to have one. Man, if you actually give some space in this one, they're never going to come back to you. You know what? If you do this, you're never, you're never going to get promoted. If you do this, and the enemy will always overblow the moment so that we fear the obedience. But maybe, church, if we're not hearing, it's not because he's not speaking. Maybe we just haven't created enough space to listen. I love what Corey Tenboom says. Corey Tenboom, many of you know, I love her. She was a, a prisoner who was sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp by the Nazis in World War II for simply loving and helping Jewish people. She said this about hearing from God. If you want to hear God's voice clearly and you're uncertain, then remain in his presence until he changes the uncertainty. Often much can happen during this waiting for the Lord. Sometimes he changes pride into humility, doubt into faith and peace. Sometimes lust into purity. The Lord can and will do it. That's from somebody who's writing from inside a concentration camp. When Peter did this, the space that Peter created enabled him to receive both the public, public proclamation of Jesus on that day, and it gave him an opportunity to have a personal interaction with Jesus that changed his life. You're already here. You've already taken the first step. You're hearing the public proclamation of Jesus today. But this isn't the end. This is a deeper invitation to a personal interaction with That's the greatest miracle. Because we get stuck, I think, on the rest of the story. And we miss it if we're not careful. Because we've trained our minds to answer the question, how can my boat be fulfilled? Rather than how can my life be whole? In modern Christianity, we're asking the rest of the story now. Cool, Jesus is in my boat. I got him now in my boat, but my boat, my net is still empty. How do I get my nets filled? Rather than, how do I get to know the one who can fill my net? Verse 4 says this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for the catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, because you said it, I let down the nets. And when he had done this, then closed such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they, could, they began to sink. But when Simon Peter, underlined that right there, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees and, and crying out, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that he had taken. And also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Here's the final tension. In these moments, the final tension lies for you and I in how we respond to the what now moment between manifestation and revelation. I love this moment. 
I love it because Peter has no reason to believe Jesus' word. He has no reason to believe Jesus except that Jesus said it. I mean, let, let's be honest. Everything in his life tells him not to believe Jesus. His entire life experience, everything that brought him to this moment, I mean, come on, let's be honest. You know, somewhere in Peter, this voice must have been going on. Hey, Jesus, I know you're a good preacher. I know you can entertain the crowd. I know you're pretty holy. And I know you can build a wall because you have a background kind of in carpentry. But you don't know a thing about fishing, dude. How many times have we allowed our life experience to negate the word of God? How often have we allowed our background, what we were taught, how we came to the moment, taint the way that we receive what God wants to reveal in the moment? The Bible says he obeys. He goes, you said it, I'll do it. Come on, my friends, this is simply what faith looks like. You have a perfect picture of faith right here. Faith is simply this. God says it. We obey it. We put it into action. And we trust him to fulfill it. That's it. Faith isn't really any harder than that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the, is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we haven't seen yet. I love Peter's response here. Peter used his greatest possession to give Jesus a platform. He allowed him to use his boat, his greatest possession. Notice he didn't do this. Jesus, prove to me first, and then I'll give you what's important to me. Prove to me that I can trust you with what I'm going to give you, and then I'll give it. Peter allowed Jesus to have his greatest possession, and Jesus used it to proclaim the kingdom of God's message in word and deed. And the result of that obedience was overflowing blessing. So much blessing that he was able to bless others. By the way, that's what we've been talking about. You were not designed just to be a, a, a receiver of blessing. You've been designed to be a conduit of blessing. Blessing should roll through you to other people around you. That is a beautiful thing. This is the principle of faith uh, that's not really that difficult. It's believing what God says is true. Putting the word into practice. And trusting that God will manifest it in his good time. Tricky part. Tricky part. In his good time. There's this beautiful story in Luke 17 where ten lepers come to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, can you heal us? And he says, sure. Go and show yourselves to the priests at the temple because that's what the law told them they had to do. And on your way, and when you go, you'll be healed. He didn't pray over them, didn't anoint them with oil, didn't prophesy, didn't lay hands. He simply gave them the word. The Bible says, while they were on the way, they were healed. That means that there was a time on the journey when they weren't healed yet. There was a time in their obedience, come on somebody, where the miracle hadn't shown up yet. Because on the journey while they were traveling, there was time that they weren't and there was a time that they were. I wonder if there was a time when some of them were getting healed and others of them weren't yet. And they were like, God, come on. It's happening over here. Why isn't it happening to me? God, I don't know what you're doing. So many of us abort the mission because our goal is the miracle. Look, I, I, I know this. 
on your on-the-way journey. Some of us will be cleansed on this side of the veil, and some of us will be cleansed on the other side of the veil. But either way, my God is not a man that he should lie. He is faithful to his promise. The end goal is not the miracle. The end goal is knowing the miracle worker. Come on. I know when the crowd saw the miracle, it surely must have been assigned to them, to the people that God loved Peter. Jesus, man, Jesus must have loved Peter. Look what he gave him. And there lies the trap. It's how we see the miracle. Is the miracle a sign of God's love for us? Because if we get the miracle and it shows how much God loves us, the end, I'm good because I'm loved. Or is it a sign of God's love for us that should lead us to follow him more closely and close the gap between us? See, as a believer, when we're coming from the perspective that the goal of Christianity is to walk in the blessing of God, then when we get the miracle, the journey ends. We've arrived. We've got it. Once I cross the finish line in a marathon, I don't keep running. They give me the medal. When our goal in Christianity is to get out of the pain, to get the breakthrough, to walk in the blessing of God, once we get it, we're done. Or, if he doesn't do it, and we've put ourselves out there in front of everybody, then we come circle back all the way to the empty boat moment, where we are tempted now to hide and separate from the thing and the person we think failed us. And either way, we miss out in the meaning behind the moment. We miss out in the deeper meaning behind the moment God led you to. It's like the man, many of you may know the story, the man who bought the painting at a yard sale because he liked the painting and he knew it would fit the space that he had and he hung it on the wall. And the whole, all the years it hung on the wall, he never knew that there was an original, uh, original copy of the Declaration of Independence behind the painting. He loved the painting, he enjoyed it. It filled the space, the void was full, but he didn't understand there was a more valuable prize, come on, behind what was hanging on the wall. We tend to see the greatest miracle in the story as the provision of the fish. But that's not the greatest miracle here. The greatest miracle here is in Peter's eyes being open to who Jesus really is and who he is in comparison to Jesus. That's the greatest miracle. Here we see the true miracle of the empty boat. Here we see the true miracle of the fruitless night fishing all night long. Peter coming to a revelation of who Jesus is and who Peter is not in comparison to him. That's the true gold that is being mined in this moment. And it is the true gold that can be mined whether there's a miracle or not. Because if all we're looking for is the gold in the manifested miracle, we will miss the true gold, come on, in the revelation of the miracle worker. The other day, I was so stressed out. It happens to me. I was stressed out about a lot of things we have going on in church, a lot of things that we are called to do and how we're going to provide for this in a world that's going crazy when provisions are harder to get, come to. And there was one, uh, one, one in particular kind of uh, issue that I was like just stressed out about. And I remember it was Tuesday. Tuesday, I was walking in the middle of my bedroom and I just stopped. 
I said, Father, you got to help me in this. Yeah. you got to help me in this. And I heard two words clear as day. Trust me. Yep. And this was my response. I do. Come on, God. I trust you. <laughs> and he said, trust me. Yeah. And I went, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I, I, I just let him have it. And I love to tell you that the truth is two days later, we saw the greatest miracle that I could ever, that, that we've seen in a long time. Something happened that everybody told us could never happen, never going to get done. And here's the deal. The, the details of that miracle don't really matter. Because right. that's not really the thing I learned from that moment. Right. Right. What I learned about that moment is something deeper about who he is. Absolutely. That he really wants to speak to me. That in my worry and my stress, my God bent down and met me in my bedroom to comfort me in my stress. To let me know I wasn't alone. That I didn't have to carry the weight of this. And it revealed something about me to me. Something about me to me. That I don't have it together. I'm the only one. That I try too much of my own. I carry too much on my shoulders. I'm worried too much about what I can't control. The greatest miracle wasn't the provision that came two days later. The greatest miracle, because that will provide for the next year or two. Come on, somebody. But the revelation of who he is and who I'm not will provide the rest of my life a difference. It will change you. It will change how I act with my family, how I respond as a leader, how I lead as a pastor, how I love on people. It will keep me from walking away from him and causing separation when I think I've failed him. Come on. Yes, there was a miracle, but the miracle wasn't the miracle. The miracle was the revelation. Right, right. Yeah. I think it's so beautiful. If you didn't see it, we're almost done. Give me a few more minutes. I love this if you didn't see it. One of the most beautiful things in the story is the response that Simon has to the revelation that he stepped into. Up until this moment, did you notice that up until this moment, he was referred to as Simon? It was only after the rev- he got the revelation that the Holy Spirit refers to him in his fullness, Simon Peter. Not only who he was, but the name Jesus gave him. Who he was made to be. Not only who he was, but who he was made to be. Not just who he was, but who he was made to be. See, Simon had entertained Jesus. Simon had hosted Jesus on the boat. But Peter magnified Jesus. Peter gave Jesus the position that was his. He was Lord and King. Peter followed Jesus. Simon was a believer. Simon Peter was a disciple. We get to choose today in our empty boat moments whether we're going to entertain and host Jesus and be a a believer like Simon or whether we're going to allow the revelation of Jesus to be the goal. So that we can follow him no matter what. We see this on the cross. One of the most amazing moments in Luke 23. Many of you may know the story. 
of the two thieves that hung on the sides of Jesus. By the way, they weren't thieves. Thievery was not a capital offense. They were rebels. Same crime. Do you remember? There's this one thief. We'll refer to him as that. There's this one thief. He's on the side of Jesus. He's in as empty of a boat moment as he possibly could be in. Can't do a thing. Nailed to the cross, bleeding and dying, naked in front of the entire world. He had no privacy. He couldn't hide from jack nobody. Do you know what's amazing about this? There was no deliverance. Jesus didn't heal the blood from flowing. Jesus didn't keep him from dying. Do you know the only thing that Jesus offered him was to follow him to where he was going? He said, tonight you'll be with me where I'm going in paradise. Yeah. But did you notice the other rebel on the other side? He was crying out for a miracle. Come on, Jesus, if it's really you, get me down from here. Give me some deliverance. It's modern-day Christianity, modern-day believing. If you do a miracle, I'll believe you. If you provide for me, I'll believe you. If you get me out of my pain, Jesus, then I'll believe for you. Yeah. Maybe our empty moments will bring us miracles. And maybe they won't. But they always will give us an opportunity to know and follow Jesus more deeply. This is the pivotal moment for Peter. The difference between himself and the crowd. The pivotal moment for you between being astonished by God and committed to him. Astonished by how cool church can be and committed to the house. Astonished that God could love somebody like you and committed to that love. The Bible says the crowd was astonished by the catch of the fish, by the miracle. They were overwhelmed by what they saw. But Peter was committed to the one he saw who did it. He was committed to the one he would then follow. He was committed not to the miracle, but to the miracle worker. Not to how to get the fish but to the one who could speak to the fish and they would listen. He was committed to follow. Do you know how the story ends? And we miss it so often in church because we stop with learning how to get the fish into the boat. Verse 11 says this. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and started to follow Jesus. Stay with me. They started the story with nothing, and they ended the story with nothing, except Jesus. The only difference was Jesus. Yes, they saw the miracle. Yes, the boat was so full they could bless other people. Yes, they were astonished by a miracle-working God, but they walked away with the same thing that they started with, except this time they were following Jesus. So the real question today, the real question you got to wrestle with, is that enough? Is that enough? If you walk out of church the same way you walked into church, 
except you're committed to following him deeper, is that enough? If your nets are still empty, your healing hasn't come, your marriage isn't perfect, is following him enough? Are you looking to be astonished or committed? Look, we used to be a church that astonished people. We put on a great show. Lights, fog machines, props, videos. There's nothing wrong with any of that. There's a time and a place. But people got attached to the astonishment of the moment rather than committed to the one who wanted to get in the boat in the midst of your moment. If you walk out of here today, I believe, can, can, you, can you hear me today? I believe for your miracle. I will stand and fight for it with you. I will stand in the gap. I've been praying, Danielle and I have been praying for miracles in this room. There are some of you who have been going through stuff for years. We've been praying. There are some of you who, you know it because you have not been able to get pregnant and now you got pregnant. Come on, somebody. We've been praying for me. God does me. I am not saying my God does not, miracle, does not do miracles. I will fight for it. I will stand for it. But at the end of the day, I am not here to be astonished by it. I'm here to be committed to the miracle work. If my nets stay empty, my boat remains unfulfilled until the day that I step through that veil. Is following him enough? That's the miracle of the story. That's the miracle of the story. How you answer this question will change everything. You will have empty boat moments. You will have moments where the space scares you, where there's a void, how we respond to these moments determines what we step into in our future. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me today. Is Jesus enough? Is knowing that he wants to step into your life. Knowing that he loves you just the way that you are. He saw Peter in his failure and it didn't dissuade him one second. He saw him in his fear, in his insecurity, in his utter failure. And Jesus said, I'm cool. Today, I'm asking you this question because you may have in your past been astonished to know that God could love someone like you. You may have been disenchanted with God because you worked all night, served, given, believed, and your net stayed empty. Today, I'm asking you, will you move past your need for astonishment and into the fulfillment of commitment? Daddy, even if I have nothing, I will follow you. 
Even if my miracle doesn't come on this side of the veil, I will follow you. Even if my hopes and dreams do not come to fulfillment, I will follow you. I won't give the devil one foothold, not one inch, not one moment to be entertained in my mind, my spirit, or my life. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. Because that's what I'm asking. Because that's what heaven's asking. Jesus is never asking, do you just believe in him? He's always asking you to follow him. Not to be perfect. But to follow. Maybe you've never actually asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've been around church, or maybe you've been around Christian circles, Christian friends before, but you've never taken the time to actually ask Jesus to come in and be the Lord and Savior of your life. Like Peter today, you don't have to offer him anything but the open emptiness of your boat, of your life, and just say, come on in, and he will step in, full person, full form, and he will bring the kingdom of God with him. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. The Bible simply says, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord like Peter did with your mouth and believe in your heart that he died for you and rose again and that was enough today, not later on, not next year, not when you die today, salvation will come into your life. That's what I'm inviting you to. Maybe today you've prayed that prayer before, but there's so much distance between you and God. You are off on the side washing the muck out of the failures of your life. It's time to come home again. It's time just to say, Daddy, I'm sorry. Here I am. I'm all in. I'm holding nothing back. We're going to pray together. But if that's you today, can I invite you to pray with me from the bottom of your heart and engage right here, right now with Jesus. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my life. All that I am. All that I have. All that I ever will be, I give to you now. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of everything I've done wrong. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. And from this day forward and forevermore, I choose to be fully committed to following you. I refuse to look back. I refuse to go back. I refuse to give the enemy not one square inch of my life. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God some glory for people who are just coming to make that decision today? Hallelujah. I want to pray over you really quickly. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm believing for every one of those miracles, every one of those empty, every one of those empty net, uh, nets to be filled by the power of Jesus Christ. You said that you are a healer. You said that you're the provider. You said that you are the truth. You, you are our answer, Lord God. You said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come on. Daddy, you said that you will mount us up 
like with wings like eagles so that we will run and not grow weary. We will, we will walk and not faint, Lord God, when we rest in you, when we trust you. Jesus, you said your name is the name above all names. Father, you exalted Jesus above everything visible and invisible, everything with a name from cancer to disease, Lord God, to unemployment, to doubt, to death, to addiction, to despair. Your name is above it all, so we stand in it, Lord God. We thank you for the manifestations of the miracles that will come. But we thank you even more for the miracles of the revelation of who you are. Open our eyes, Lord God. Open our hearts. Open our, open our ears. Let us hear your voice. See your face. Know you like we've never known you before. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you so much. What a great God we serve. Whether we get our miracle on this side of the veil or the other, my God is a faithful God. Look, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you. Pastor Rick over here and Pastor Kathy, they have two, uh, books they'd love to give you. This is for adults, the surprise of your life. If you're online, by the way, you can just follow that prompt online and you'll figure out how it will send you one of these free. This will help you understand the decision you just made, that the gift of, uh, of Jesus is free. And if you're a teenager or a tweener, a Gen Zer, this is a book just for you as well. And maybe you know these answers. Maybe you're a parent with a, a Gen Zer. Maybe they know Jesus. Maybe they have some friends who have some questions. Man, put this in their hand. Resource your children. We want to resource your children as well. This is what it's all about. Provision for the miracle in someone else's life. That's what we do also when we give. We provide for a miracle in someone else's life. We provide for a miracle in someone else's life. Peter brought his nets, gave them to Jesus. His boat gave them to Jesus. And out of that gift came a provision of miracles for people's lives. Before we go, Pastor Rick's going to come even now. Just encourage us in our giving so that we can continue to provide a miracle, not only in our life, but in the lives of others. Amen? Can you give Pastor Rick a hand as he's coming?
these things, these ties that we should do as well. So it's not an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing. And a true mark of a disciple, and that's what we've been talking about, and if you want to know, get to know God better, disciples tithe, and by tithe I mean 10%. And Kathy and I have, have done it for many, many years, and we have gotten to know who he is so much better to miracle work and power Yeah. No, that that's that's good. Please, yeah. yeah remind them really quick, yeah. And you heard Chris Capel talk about learning how to share the gospel, which is what I'm discipling to do. Well, we've been talking about it for a number of months now. But on April the second, on April the second, from nine a.m. to eleven a.m. right here, we're going to have a two-hour equipping time where you're going to be able to learn how to share the gospel in a very, very strategic yeah. way. Taking signatures now? We're taking signatures? Are we getting autographs? Is that what we're doing? Look, we just need everyone's autograph. Is that how it works? You don't have to show ID. Just show ID. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Come on, give Pastor Rick a hand. I love this guy. Brilliant. Fantastic. Hey, worship team, can you guys come real quick? We're just going to worship as we get ready to go. I hope, guys, can you just stand with me? I hope... Uh, 
I hope that when we, we're just going to sing a little bit of the song we sang this morning. But I hope as you begin to worship in this, this time, it may speak something deeper to you than before. There's something that God wants to do. You guys can come up. Happy birthday, Melissa. Happy birthday. I believe God's going to do it. I believe that God is a God of miracles. I believe that God is a God of provision. I believe God's got a breakthrough. If he could raise Jesus from the dead, what can't he do in our lives? But the greatest miracle still is not what he does, it's who he is. So can I encourage you today, just as we begin to get ready to go, just lift up your hands and your heart. Make this a profession of your, mouth, of your, of your life this week, a proclamation of his goodness.
Send your spirit upon them. Let them baptize them from top to bottom. Let them go through them into the world around them. Order the footsteps as you order the footsteps of the righteous. Open our eyes to who you are in every moment where you're moving around us. Daddy, may our hearts say yes to you, to the invitation to join you in where you're working in the world around us. Move in our world in our small world, in our big world, in a way only you can. When our backs seem to be against the wall, make a way, make a way, make a way. You are the way maker. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, church. We love you. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Hallelujah.